G'day mate, welcome to another episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast, it is so good to have you here. Now today we are talking with Lisa Tamati, Ultra Endurance legend. She has almost died in the desert multiple times. She has run through Death Valley. She's run in the outback of Australia. She's run over the highest mountain passes in the world and she is an absolutely incredible human. She's broken down so many barriers and obstacles in her pursuit of excellence and her mindset is what sets her apart from so many other people out there. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. G'day mate, I hope things are going well for you this week. It is so good to have you here back for episode 29 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. Now, in today's episode, I am interviewing ultra-endurance legend, Lisa Tarmati. Now, Lisa has run all over the world through some of the hottest deserts around. She's run the Badwater Ultra Marathon in Death Valley. She's run in the outback of Australia. She's run in the Himalayas, the Gobi Desert, along with so many other adventures. She's the author of two amazing books, Running Hot and Running to Extremes. If you haven't read those, I highly recommend them. She's also a public speaker, a coach, and an entrepreneur. She also hosts a podcast called Pushing the Limits, which is well worth a listen if you're out there. Now, Lisa has had a lot of success in her life with her athletic endeavors, but they haven't come easily for her, or it hasn't been a smooth road as often it looks like from the outside. She broke her back when she was 21. She suffered from extreme anxiety and depression multiple times throughout her career. But somehow she always digs deep within and pushes through, and she credits her mindset for a lot of this. In today's episode, there's a lot of different references that come up to different resources and different websites and different videos. I have posted a link to all of these over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website under episode 29 on the podcast tab so if you want to follow up on any of the resources that we talk about get over and check those out so without further ado let's jump into the interview with lisa tarmati um so i won't i won't hold you up uh, longer than we need to, so we'll, we'll crack straight into it because I really appreciate your time. Oh no, that's cool, mate. I'm I'm uh, honoured to be on. I've, I've watched, a, you know, I've followed you over quite a while, and you know, loved some of the stuff you do. And um, so, oh, thank you. That's, that's very awesome to have you here. Yeah, it's very cool, mate. Real cool. Nice to connect so, anyway. Finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so give us a bit of a rundown on, on your background, because in terms of pre-running. Pre-running, crikey. Pre-running, if you can remember back that far. Back that far. <laughs> no, so, um, yeah, I grew up in um, a place called Bell Block here in uh, Taranaki and uh, had a real sort of wheat kid upbringing, if you like. 
um, always outdoors, always running around, always, you know, surfing and swimming and running around everywhere and causing mayhem. So I was really, you know, a sporty kid. I did gymnastics as a, as a young girl, so right through my uh, early years as a child, um, which taught me a lot of things, actually. It taught me a whole lot about discipline and training and persistence. Um, and But it also taught me when I got to sort of puberty age a whole lot of uh, self-esteem issues, <laughs> as you can mm-hmm. imagine. Gymnastics yep. is one of those sports where... Uh, especially with girls, they've got to be tiny, they've got to be skinny, they've got to be, you know, certain ways, shape and size. And, of course, that wreaked havoc with the young girl who was really, I was really an athletic-built person and not really suited to that type of, um, you know, build-wise. So that, that caused me a lot of early grief, really. Um, and I think I read somewhere uh, in, in one of your books that that was why you started running in the first place. Yeah, yep, exactly right. Because I, I, I had to, you know, I was looking for ways to control my weight. Not that I was overweight, but they they told me I was for 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 being a gymnast and be that level. Um, so I started taking up running, hoping that that would, you know, help help things along. Um, and it, it wasn't really the most efficient way to lose weight, as I found out in years um, years to come. But it, it became its own sort of a, a thing, a fitness thing for starters. And then, um, but even very early on, I remember going for my first sort of 10k run on my own, off my own bat, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, just running out the door and seeing how far I could go. Which was, you know, back in those days, it was quite a long way for a kid to run. Um, and yeah, always, always, always sort of interested in pushing the boundaries of what what was you know what I could do and finding my own sort of abilities and where I was what I was good at. Yeah, awesome. And where did that lead you in terms of where to next then? Yeah, well, so I didn't get into the actual running, running until my late twenties, really. So I spent. Mm-hmm. Um, after the gymnastics, I got right into surfing and did that for a few years, hard out, and loved it. Uh, was hopeless at it, <laughs> but it didn't matter. And and then I met um, a young Austrian guy who was cycling through New Zealand, and he had an accident up here on our mountain, actually. And mum being my mum, she invited the stranger to come home and, you know, live with us for a while and that was over the summer holidays while I was home from university and we fell in love and ended up so me uh, toddling off after him to Austria and tripping around the world for a number of years so cycling uh, so cycle touring that sort of thing uh, canoeing kayaking trekking you name it we were sort of out there adventuring uh, for about five years around the world um, jobbing in between and as you do and that taught me an awful lot. Unfortunately, he was a very negative person and very uh, abusive, really, is the word. Um, and so that, once again, uh, sort of left me with not much self-esteem. By my mid-20s, um, you know, I was sort of very isolated, living a very isolated life with him overseas, you know, in a, in a country where I couldn't really communicate that well, had no friends, had no family. Um, so yeah, my life sort of was was very uh, how would you say was hard, it was hard, it was brutally hard, and that all came to a head really when I was doing uh, we were doing an expedition actually with another couple of guys uh, crossing the Libyan desert, and this to, to give the listeners a bit of a, 
a picture. So I've been going out with this guy for about five years. We've done all this crazy sort of stuff. Um, and it culminated in, in doing this expedition across the Libyan desert, which was an illegal crossing. We weren't allowed to be there. And it was a military barred zone. So, you know, Arab country, military barred zone, illegal. It's not a really good idea for a young lady to be doing these sort of things. But anyway, um, when you're young, you're bulletproof. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, so I went off and, and did this, and but we had no support, so it was self-supported. We had to carry everything on our backs, which meant carrying the entire water supply for a maximum of 10 days, we reckoned it would take to cross this desert. And so we only had two litres of water a day. That was physically all we could carry. And um, so we had a, my backpack was 35 kilos, and I remember I was like 58, 59 kilos at the time. Wow. That was hu- huge. For me, um, the, the, the guys had to sort of put me on my feet to, you know, I couldn't get up off the ground on my own, <laughs> that type of thing. Um, and this was the, the dehydration and the, the, so we were walking, we were trying to cover like 45 kilometres a day with that sort of backpack on in 40 degree plus heat on two litres of water a day. So um, you do the math on that one. It's mm. pretty, <laughs> pretty extreme, right? <laughs> and... and um, I was struggling, obviously, and the the boyfriend was uh, also doing doing photography for this, and it ended up on um, having a, a big domestic because I wasn't helping him with the photography because I just wasn't able to, to be honest. Um, I was at the limits of my ability, and he, you know, thought that I was just being useless, as which which is what he always told me I was anyway. And the other guy who was actually leading the expedition said, you know, like, because this was the first time that we'd done anything with anybody else, and he was just couldn't believe the way he treated me. And so he sort of stood up for me and sort of said, hey, man, you can't, you know, you're just doing the best you can, leave her alone type of thing. And so this ended up with this big alpha male set two, if you like. Um, and uh, the upshot of that was that he decided to leave me on day four, and that was the, you know, end of relationship. So you can imagine the severity of the dehydration. We were all very short because we were all suffering really badly from the dehydration. Um, and, you know, to, to be fair, it wasn't, uh, you know, tempers were short. And so that was the end of that, really. <laughs> and you could, uh, when he disappeared over the sand dunes, I didn't know whether we'd survive or he'd survive because it was really get in touch and go. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a really big lesson there where I had to separate my the emotional devastation from the actual physical, I've got to perform here. I've got to actually get through this desert and I owe it to the other two blokes to not cause any more trouble and to make, you know, to make the best out of a very, very bad situation. And those guys were awesome and we, we got through and it was really, really, really tough. Um, I had some major kidney damage from, from it and lost all the feeling in my upper body and um, a whole lot of physical ramifications. And then, of course, the end of the relationship ramifications, which followed on, and that sort of tipped me over the edge where I had a, uh, a you know, nervous breakdown and very severe depression for a, a couple of years after that trying to recover and come right so the logical next thing to do was to go back out into the desert exactly <laughs> and it seems like obviously a lot of your the racing that you've done has been in the desert yeah and 
do you have this love-hate relationship with the desert, yeah, or is it yeah. strictly a hate relationship yeah, or yeah, a yeah. love relationship? You're the first person to cotton on to that, really. And, um, yeah, and it, and it stems from that very first one. Um, it was the desert itself just was absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful um, in a harsh way, but just incredible, you know, like especially the Libyan desert, there was these amazing limestone formations. There was coral. This is an area that hadn't been trodden on by Westerners before, um, back in, the, in those days anyway. This is 20 years ago now. And there was coral growing out of the ground, you know, like that had been there fossilised for millions of years. There was mountains of crystals. There was, oh, it was just amazing, incredible place. And I did fall in love with that. And I also found that, um, so I was a severe asthmatic, all my childhood so I didn't I don't have a very good lung capacity and I really really struggle in the mountains so that's one of the reasons why I did hit the deserts because the hot dry climate suited me I was able to mm. deal with with heat very well comparatively speaking and yep. um, I didn't have the the shutdown of the lungs that happened when I often went in the in the, in the mountains so sure. and that dry heat as well eh? yeah exactly and so I, I tended to you know go to what my strengths were if, if you like mm-hmm. um, and, and I never had any speed and I never I've never had any talent as an athlete whatsoever and people laugh when I say that but I really mean that I'm so what from average um, and it you know, frustrates the hell out of me that I don't have the speed. But what I did have was guts, determination, and willpower, and mm. an ability to go really long, uh, and, and an ability to suffer quite a lot. Um, and those are traits that, for better or worse, have, have been advantageous in life, really, because if you, can, if you can persevere, if you can overcome, if you're relentless uh, in your pursuits of, of what you're doing, you tend to... You know, still be standing at the end, um, and still be going, and I and I think those are some of the major lessons that I've learnt from ultra marathon running. hundred oh, percent. And I'd say one thing: like a lot of people, especially endurance athletes, say that they don't have any uh, athletic talents. Yeah. But you know, having a huge aerobic capacity is is a is an athletic talent. You know, so yeah. I don't. I think people shouldn't sell themselves short if they're good at endurance sport. Then that's a huge athletic talent that yeah. uh, a lot of people don't really cotton on to. Yeah, I, I, and I, as a coach too, and you will know this too, Maddie. I get a whole lot of people coming. You know, you know, coach a lot of ladies and middle-aged ladies, and a lot of them come. Oh, I'm not a real runner, and it and it just you know I really feel for them when they say that because I always felt like I wasn't a real runner because I wasn't. Um, a Paula Radcliffe or uh, you know I didn't have that speed um, to be able to do a marathon in a decent time or any any of those things so I always felt that imposter syndrome because of that and mm-hmm. um, so I can really relate to that struggle of I'm not a real runner a year I can go for hundreds of kilometers but so what was my mentality and it's a shame and I try to coach that out of my (laughs) athletes because we all have different abilities Uh, we all have you know different skill sets and different talents that we can play to and and I just played to my talents basically and um, so what I didn't have the lung capacity I didn't have the anaerobic capacity you know I didn't have all that VO2 max and everything 
I remember doing a test at Auckland University, you know, the VO2 max testing, and um, them coming back and saying to me, you know, you're so below average, it's not funny. <laughs> I said, you were lucky you never told me that 20 years ago because <laughs> I wouldn't have done what I'd done there, you know. Um, I guess the other thing is, is if you if you had all of those things, it probably would have made you a good ultra-endurance runner anyway, you know. Yeah, so, you wouldn't have been a, a fighter. I, I think that's exactly. what I am as a fighter. Um, yeah. I, I just fight on on all fronts. Sometimes I don't need to, and I still fight. But yeah, I, uh, it, it's not a bad skill to, set to have. It's a, just a different different skill set than than the speedy guys out there. And it does drive you nuts when you train your ass off and you're only half as fast as someone who does a tenth of what you do. But you know that's just that's life. Life isn't, isn't always fair, eh? Exactly. So if we jump back to the Libyan desert, desert for a moment, or the end of the mm-hmm. Libyan desert. Yep. So uh, you've ended the relationship. You've got kidney damage. Yep. You've lost the feeling of your upper body for six months. I believe yeah, it was. About, about uh, that. Yep. And it takes you two years to recover from this. Yeah. Yeah. Took, took a fair whack of time. We're we're now then. <laughs> so back to the desert. Um, I was I was reading somewhere in a magazine about the Marathon de Sables. And uh, and I was still living in Austria at this time, and um, and I, I thought I could have a crack at this because I compared everything to the Libyan desert. I went, man, it's the same sort of distance, um, but you've got nine liters of water a day. You've got doctors and goodness knows people looking after you. You've got seven hundred runners, so you're not going to get lost. You, it's a, in, in other words, it was in a controlled environment, and It'll I thought, be a picnic. yeah, well, I didn't think it'll be a picnic, but I did think. This is a chance for me to do something for myself to prove, because I really needed to prove, because that that the, the negativity that I've been surrounded with for years of telling when someone tells you constantly that you that you're useless, that you're hopeless, that you're a useless runner, and you're never going to amount to anything, that is deeply ingrained in your psyche, and you know you can intellectually go well, you know, they don't know anything, but inside it takes a lot more than that so I really wanted to prove to him even though he was gone um, that I could do this and that I wasn't useless and and that was a big part of the motivation for me at the beginning and so to do something that was comparable in distance and and, and terrain and all the rest of it was a like wow I, I've got to do this yeah, the and, ultimate middle finger eh? yeah 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 Actually, the ultimate middle finger came about 15 years later, <laughs> running through Death Valley. Because I look forward to hearing about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about that when I see. But yeah, going to so doing the Marathon de Sables, which you know most listeners who are runners will know, is a fantastic, amazing event. And back then there was like 700 runners doing this from all around the world, and the people were so positive, and it was such a United Nations feel about the place. And yes, it was tough. Uh, but it wasn't anything compared to the, what I'd been through. Um, and so I did relatively well, you know. Um, I think I came 10th or something uh, amongst the women and about, I don't know, 150th or something around there uh, overall. And, and I was like, wow, I'm actually not bad at this caper, you know. And it, and it just gave me a little bit of that self-esteem back that I so desperately needed at that time. And then I was just hooked, of course, because once you've had a positive, amazing experience like that, and these these races, these multi-day stage races and, and crazy places are just life-changing. I don't care who you are. If you, you, you go through one of those, you come out different at the other end. Um, and that was that was what it was for me. So then I just was like, 
bring it on, bring on the next one, the next one, the next one, and I just back to back to back went hard out. <laughs> and it's it's some crazy number. How many of these ultra endurance events have oh, you done? About 140 odd. 140, and it, re- it accumulates in some ridiculous amount of kilometres as well. Yeah, about, uh, I added it up. It's about about 70,000 kilometres, but that really just shows that I'm quite old and I've been doing it for a <laughs> while. I bet you'd have pretty much that close to that on your, in your feet too, Maddie. <laughs> I don't know about Definitely not that many. <laughs> <laughs> lots of, uh, actually, and um, lots of long, slow junk miles, which I wouldn't recommend if, uh, if anyone wants to get into this, you know, certain amount of junk miles, but not certainly not what I did. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's probably a perfect uh, time to talk about that is, your training approach and even if we focus on like the early early training approach that yep. you adopted and then and how that changed oh completely changed to to way i see it now and if i could have my time again i'd do it a lot more efficiently um back then of course no coaches no no and people didn't even know what electrolytes were basically it was um you know there was nothing there were no there wasn't any of this sort of help around so you just mm-hmm. You thought, well, you're running long, so what do I do to train long? I run long, you know, that's basically all I did. So I ran slow and long because that's all I had. I had one gear, basically, and I just ran at that speed for as long as I could run. Um, And week after week after week, no cyclic training, no build-up, no uh, changing things up, no interval training, no, no nothing, just miles and miles of grinding. And it did get the job done and the fact that mm-hmm. you, you, you get to the start line and you get to the finish line that way, it's certainly not the most efficient and it's certainly not the best thing for your body um, and not the best way to approach a training program. But it did work, you know, but it was very, very time intensive as well. Um, and now looking back at it, you know, that was you get away with it too in your 20s and your 30s. Um, once you sort of get like I'm 49 now, uh, I have to train differently if I want to do stuff, you know. Um, and now you've got all that knowledge behind you, you can shortcut. And that's what you know. That's what coaching's about, really, is giving people the benefit of your mistakes and trying to shortcut the process for them. Um, and you know, making it a little bit easier so they don't fall into the same traps that you did. 100 percent. And did, was there a time when you had a, a revolutionary change in your training, uh, and what what sort of was the catalyst for that? Yeah, but not till really uh, after well, when was it about two thousand and nine, when I ran within one year. I did so I had Death Valley. I ran through Death Valley one year, then the next year I ran it again. But I also did like you know twenty four hour races and qualified for the Commonwealth Champs and New Zealand team. Went to England like six weeks after Death Valley and did the 24-hour there, then came back. I was writing a book at the same time, and then I did the biggest project, which was to run through New Zealand for charity, and that was 2,250 k's, the route that I did. And I was trying to do it in 33 days. It ended up 42. But that absolutely, doing all of that, plus all the planning and the sponsorship search and the project management and the websites and working full-time, just completely and utterly destroyed me because uh, I, I was at a, a stage where I thought I was invincible I thought I was you know this is me and I'm going to be like this forever and I can do whatever I want I've got the experience I know how to do this um, but what happened is you know I just totally and utterly burnt out 
and after the run through New Zealand, I've never actually been as strong again. I've done some big things since then, but that actually broke me in a, in a way that nothing else before it broke me. Broken, uh, broken me. It, it really sort of body's never been quite the same again. And and what sort of aspects? Well, I've had um, uh, a number of issues that have that have come from over the years, I mean, and and we're talking like doing this again and again and again. So rhabdomyolysis, which you'll know, you know, um, uh, getting that again and again, and just smashing your kidneys to pieces with heat, with dehydration, with incorrect, you know, um, getting your electrolytes wrong, tetany seizures. So I've got, I have some problems now with my kidneys and I have problems with my liver so I, I don't detox properly um, I have troubles holding uh, so balancing my electrolytes within the cells and without getting too complicated it's uh, yeah I've got a, a bit of a, a heavy road back now and I'm working with uh, Gary Moller who's a, a functional uh, nutrition consultant and here in tissue analysis and he's really getting, getting me back and he reckons he can get me back to the way I was, um, and I'm hoping that's that's the truth. But yeah, I've definitely done some some permanent damage over the years. And I think what in this ultra marathon running scene now, with the benefit of a bit of age and hindsight, it, I can see it, and I see it in my my athletes that I coach sometimes, where I just cannot stop them. I can see them running towards a wall, and I cannot stop them. They're just going faster and faster and more and bigger. And 99% of them are going to crash at some stage. You get the odd uh, physical anom anomaly, like someone like Dean Canassis, who just seems to go and go and go and go. But most humans hit uh, some brick walls, you know. And I think, yeah, we're capable of her amazing things, but we shouldn't be doing them every week and we shouldn't be doing them every month. <laughs> uh, so it's trying to balance that out. And, you know, I did. I, I thought I could smash out ultras month after month after month. And, you know, I'm paying quite a high price for that, that now health-wise and trying to help my athletes avoid that. You, you would see it just as much as I do. Yeah, you, 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 it's, you've got a higher vantage point. You can see further ahead. And they're in the grind of doing what they're doing. And, you know, I think our job now as, as coaches is, I mean, you know, you get some people you have to just motivate and they're just not, they're too lazy and they're not doing enough. But not, but most of the people that I work with anyway are the opposite, are over-motivated. They're type A personalities. They're go, 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 and I can achieve and I can do anything. And I have a really tough job trying to keep the, the reins on on you know, them being sensible. So, yes, achieving these incredibly huge, great goals, but then recovering and taking that time out to recover and not not doing, you know, five or six ultras or ten ultras in a year or something silly. Um, and if you're going to do a big mammoth task like, you know, like I did running through New Zealand, then, you know, be prepared that the next year is going to be a rocky road and you've got to take the time off to recover. And if you don't, look out. Um, we we are fooled into thinking like if, if we look at social media nowadays and and all of the wonderful you know Stravas and groups and stuff that we're all involved in, the tendency is that people see a thousand people doing one race, and we on the other end are sitting there watching all these people doing these incredible events and feats of endurance and amazing things, and we think we're missing out because we're not we've only done 
a couple this year. We're getting a skewed view on what's really appropriate, what's really uh, manageable, um, and what's really achievable. It's a bit like the the same thing with, you know, if you go on Instagram and there's all these beautiful women with ripped abs and guys with beautiful bodies and they're all, I don't know, photoshopped up to the max and all. You get the skewed view of, the, of how you're meant to look. Um, and it's the same thing happening I can see in the in the world of trail running or ultra marathon running, especially where we're getting this view that everybody's out there smashing it, doing it every weekend, and really it's a thousand people doing it. You know, it's a thousand people doing one or two events. Not. It seems like social media is the ultimate in rose-tinted glasses, isn't it? I mean, everyone only oh, puts absolutely. up their best photos, don't they? Oh, and I'm as guilty as everyone else. You know, you put your smiling, winning pictures up, you know. That's that's how the world works. But you've got to step back from that and look and go, hang on, there's more behind the story and don't feel that pressure to look like that, be like that, you know, um, and achieve those, those things every week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's similar with the likes of Strava, and Zwift, which is a cycling sort of uh, indoor training program and other social media exercise platforms. Oh, yeah. It encourages and rewards more. More yep. is better. Kilometer. It's the, yeah, it's the kilometer collection um, paradigm, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, like when I, when I train with somebody or we work with someone at Running Hot, um, we build into their plans, mobility work, strength work, uh, you know, interval sessions, hill sessions, recovery days, uh, all of that is their training. And often their mileage is less than what they have they've been doing. And they're like, we lose a few people because they think, no, I've got to do more than that. Again, no, you're not doing the other parts of it. You're forgetting the, the weight training. You're forgetting the, you know, the strength training, the mobility work that has to be done daily. Those are part of that, you know, those so many hours per week that you're training, 30% should be all of that. But no, you're just doing 100% collecting kilometers and you're feeling cool because, you know, I've done 150 kilometers this week or something silly when, yeah, you're not at that level or you shouldn't be doing that week in, week out, week in, you know. Uh, it's It's Getting away from that Strava mentality is really quite tough. There's no doubt that logging a strength session or some mobility work on Strava doesn't look as good as getting out for a long, epic session. I mean, you don't get the same kudos from your mates, do you? No, and we don't get the high from it, you know, and this is the other problem. And I, I mean, I'm talking to myself here, you know, I know the importance of doing my, my yoga workouts, my Pilates or my stretching routines or whatever I want to do. They're working in and not just working out. And yet I still have to talk myself into it because at the end of a yoga workout, I find the yoga hard, but I don't find the big buzz that I get like if I've been out for a run. But that's just changing the mentality and changing and understanding what it's, I think education around what it's actually doing good for your body and how you're actually going to improve faster than if you uh, just smash out another 10K run instead of going to that yoga class. Now, can we just jump back to the ultimate middle finger for a, for a minute, which was running through Death Valley? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah. 
why why this was such a important uh, event for me was that the 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 guy that I was you know mentioned earlier who shall remain nameless. Um, he had cycled through Death Valley, and I'd always heard the story about, you know, he cycled through Death Valley and how cool he was, and that was amazing, and so on. And so when I finally got all the uh, heard about running through Death Valley in the middle of summer, I thought, you're kidding, you know, did they actually do that? And I really wanted to to run it just to show him, basically, even though I had no more contact with him for years. But I wanted to say, you you know, like, you cycled through Death Valley, but I bloody ran the thing in the middle of summer. Now, just to add a little bit of context, because you do brush off Bad Water or, the, or Death Valley a little bit, uh, to just a bit of context to the listeners to know what we're dealing with. So the Bad Water Ultra Marathon is a 270-kilometre uh, run through Death Valley. Correct, yep. Which is in America. Yep. Hottest desert on earth. Now, just to get an idea of how hard this event is, more people have climbed Mount Everest than have completed this yep. yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. So, in layman's term, it's hard. Yeah, it's bloody hard. <laughs> you, you've got temperatures in excess of 50, up to 57 degrees um, through the heat, hottest part of the valley. And, yeah, you, and you've got mountains to climb over as well. So, you've got big passes that you've got to get up and over as well. Um, so you've got the distance, the 217, you've got the mountains and the heat. Uh, so it, it, it is a brutal race. Um, but I've actually done harder things than that, for me harder anyway. Because, um, yeah, once, you know, there's different uh, – they, they were, don't get me wrong, they were brutally hard, <laughs> brutally hard. But some of the stuff that I did later on in Himalayas was, for me, harder. Um, but, yeah, so it was the ultimate thing to run through there and it was probably the highlight of my career was running Death Valley the first time. The second time was, was cool as well. But the first time was like, wow, you know, I've really felt like I'd arrived somewhere and I'd reached a certain stage. And, and yeah, it was like the ultimate, okay, I'm not useless. You know, I really started to sink in. <laughs> Took a long time. <laughs> Slow learner. But, yeah, I started to feel that confidence coming through of being actually I have – tackled a huge task not only running wise but logistically and getting you know the money together uh, taking a crew over taking film crews over all of that logistical stuff uh, so you have to learn to present yourself market yourself speak run your own businesses you know all of those sort of good things that you learn in the process of see a friend of mine um said to me once, James Kostrizian, who's an adventurer from Australia, who's uh, kayaked over from the Australia to New Zealand and crossed the South Pole and oh, God knows what, he's done crazy stuff. And he says to me, yeah, it's really like training for the Olympics and building the stadium at the same time, doing these expeditions or these these big projects. And I said, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> you don't get the support. you actually got to build the house. You've got to actually get the sponsors. You've got to chase them down. You've got to market yourself. You get no support from anywhere or anything. Um, and I think, you know, that's part of the good learnings um, from the whole from the whole thing, really, is, is all the skill sets that you learn from that. And there is so much crossover between the world of sport and life with those skills, isn't there? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's what I do now really is I teach, obviously do the running coaching, but 
a big part of what I do now is mindset coaching. So it's all around developing mental toughness, resilience, you know, a never quit mentality, how to overcome challenges, leadership, uh, all of those sort of lessons that you learn in doing these sort of things. But you can apply them in your business, in your personal life, all of these, you know, the rich tapestry of life. You can apply all those lessons to them. Now, that brings us to the point to mention that you have a free downloadable resource about goal setting, don't you, as well as your Mindset Academy. Yeah, you're a good, you're a good man, Maddie. <laughs> you're good. Um, so yeah, if uh, if anyone is interested, I have got a mindset academy, and they can either go directly to my website, uh, which is lisatarmody.co.nz, and uh, hit the e-course button in the navigation, or they can go through to lisatarmody.co.nz forward slash goal hyphen setting, where I've got a a PDF download that's all around the the mechanics of of setting goals and achieving goals and how to overcome the challenges and all that sort of good stuff. And in the aftermath of that, they get a few tips and tricks um, in the uh, process after that. So, yeah, love people to go and check that out because it's what I'm really passionate about now is not so much just the running side of it, but actually helping people realize their potential, helping people develop the self-confidence that I was always for years lacking, helping people get over this imposter syndrome, helping um, giving them the, the tools and the techniques and the rituals and the habits of successful um, people, basically, to achieve uh, extraordinary goals, whatever they are, whether they're sporting goals, academic or in business or in your personal life. It's, um, you know, you you have to overcome a hell of a lot when you're doing this sort of uh, a journey in life, and you know what better way than to share some of those some of those lessons. So that's what my my course, which is called the Path of an Athlete, is all about. I downloaded this free goal setting PDF a few months ago, oh, cool. and I can highly recommend it as a great resource for anyone out there who is after some great content about goal setting and not just theoretical stuff, but practical things you can start implementing today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I think it's it's what we all need to work on all the time is our personal development is our, is our mental toughness because it's a, you know, mental toughness alone is, is a skill that can really help you when you, when the shit hits the fan in your life. You've got something to draw on. You've got something to bounce back on. You're resilient, you know, all of that sort of good stuff. And the goal-setting thing is a big part of that process. That ties perfectly into a question that we got on Instagram, if I can ask that now. Yeah. The question is, when things haven't gone quite to plan in a lead-up to an A race, so a key race, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. do you then approach or change your focus. Right, well that's happened to me quite a few times <laughs> that things haven't gone well in the build up and you know the thing is you have to have a conversation with yourself are you still going to go for that race or are you going to change and that's fine if you're going to readjust so it's it's keeping uh, adjusting your goals as you go through checking in with yourself is this going to plan or do I need to readjust if you decide to go for it then any of the bad build up stuff you've got to mentally overcome and get rid of as quickly as possible um, give an example so I did a race in the Himalayas uh, Indian Himalayas called La Ultra and it was a 222k race at altitude so we're talking at five and a half thousand meter um 
mountains to get over, two of them, in this 222k race. And when I signed up the year before, they'd only run up for the first time and they'd only had three runners there and two had ended up in hospital and one had made it. And the guy had made it, you know, he'd run Death Valley, climbed Mount Whitney and turned around and run back. So he wasn't exactly, you know, your average Joe. <laughs> it was a crazy guy anyway. And he, you know, all, but all I heard was that no woman had done it. And so I really wanted to crack that nut. And I'm, as I said, I'm asthmatic. So Himalayas are real no-go really for me, but I, I wanted to have a crack. So I did. And then in the build-up, everything went wrong. I got this hypoxic tent you know, those altitude training tents sponsored. And I slept in this thing and I got impatient and I, I turned it up to six and a half thousand meters every night. <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, typical athlete, eh? If a little bit's good, more must be better. T- uh, turned it up to six and a half thousand meters and slept in it every night. And of course, that all went to custard really quickly. Within a couple of weeks, I was in dire trouble with. Uh, bacteria in the body just going rife. When you don't have enough oxygen in the body, the bacteria just goes hell for leather. So, um, and then I had brain problems. So I ended up with a brain concussion. Uh, so altitude, what they call a hypoxic brain concussion. So I was knocking off brain cells that I really couldn't afford to lose. And I actually sensitized myself to the altitude. So that was a really bad build up. <laughs> and then I also ripped the, lang- uh, the ligaments off my ankle um on the left and right side of my ankle on my left ankle uh after doing a 100k race the the what was back then the north face 100 in blue mountains in australia and i did the race okay and then i was doing a photo shoot the next day for north face and came down on my ankle and ripped the ligaments and this was like 10 weeks out from the event so talk about bad build up this was catastrophe really no, and I should have, you know, like I could have backed out and I could have, but I'd spent, like I said, you know, I'd been building the stadium. I'd got, I'd got massive amount of money for sponsorships. I'd got a crew. I'd had the film crew. I had, you know, everything lined up. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going anyway. So I went over there, and then the the negativity and the when we got there, the doctors, they had a team of doctors from America who come to study us basically because humans. They didn't think that humans could go up to that level and then back down and then go up again within that sort of shortened time period. And they wanted to see whether we'd die from altitude sickness or not, basically. <laughs> and um, so there was a lot of scaremongering going around. And and that whole negativity, you know, was just was terrifying. And we were there in 10 days in the build-up to it, trying to acclimatise to the altitude and by the by the time we were nearly ready to race, I was just like beside myself with fear and terrified. And um, but it got to a point where I went right. I've got to block out everybody and everything, and I got my crew to just feed me positivity and tell me how wonderful I was and how well I was going to do, and it was all going to be great. And they just protected me, so I didn't have anything to do with any of the other runners or the doctors, and they just fed me good stuff. And by doing that, I protected my 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 mind, which was the only thing I had left, you know, um, and that was one of my best races. I mean, it was bloody hard. It was brutally hard, and it took me 53 hours and five minutes. Uh, if you compare that to Death Valley, which took like 37.15, I think was the fastest I did. Um, that was a lot harder, and I went to hell and back with the altitude, with asthma, with 
uh, the exhaust fumes from all the trucks that were up there. They had convoys of army trucks coming through on these really dangerous narrow roads um, and all of these sort of, you know, all of these things against you. Then you had temperatures from 40 degrees down in the valley up to, you know, down to minus degrees up on the mountains and snowstorms and you name it, we had it. And it was really, really brutally hard and the build-up had been disastrous and yet it turned out to be one of my best highlights of my career. Now there's actually an amazing video covering this race, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, so the doco is actually, if anyone wants to um, watch the doco, just email me and I'll send them the link. Um, yeah, it was very slow. It was more of a walking than running race, to be honest, in the end, because at altitude, at that altitude, it's really hard to walk, let alone run. Um, but, yeah, made it through. But to answer that person's question, when things go to custard, and I've had other races where I've actually failed, um, you've got to just get over them as quickly as possible. Cry, ball your eyes out in, your, in the privacy of your own four walls and then pick yourself up off of the ground and go for it again and learn what you can out of it. You can't always, when you, when you set goals, you can't always control the variables, right? You're not responsible for the actually achieving the goals. You're responsible for putting in place the behaviors and the steps and the rituals and the habits to get you to your goal. What actually happens on the day and what actually happens during the race or the event is actually outside of your control. So don't focus on that. You've got to roll with it when it goes to custard. Or you just got to keep going when you can go, you know. Um, so, and that's part of that resilience training. So you've got to understand that you have certain things in your control that you, you can master and then let the rest be. The, the, the rest will be what it will be. And this would be the ideal time to ask another question that we got on Instagram about what mental techniques do you use to work your way through the dark patches and races, particularly when the finish line is still such a long way away? Oh, and yeah. And to be honest, you spend 90% of the whole time in this space of uh, and I, I always say it's like having an angel and a devil on your shoulder. You've got this one, this devil who's saying you can't do it and give up and why don't you just sit down and nobody will say anything and, you know, all this sort of excuses that you are starting to, you're starting to negotiate with yourself, right? If I, if I just get to there, at least I've done this. I've, I've, you know, and when you start that negotiating process with yourself, then you're in deep trouble. You've got to be, You've got to be focused on, I'm going to get there come hell or high water. And they're going to have to drag me off kicking and screaming. I'm not giving up. And that can be, that can be a dangerous mentality to have. So what I used to do in my crews is have, if I had a crew with me, not all races have crews obviously, but the ones that did and where it was an extreme event, I said to them, if my life is in danger, and like a couple of times I had like a paramedic on the crew, if my life is in danger and I'm still pushing on because I'm a complete idiot, you have the right to pull me off, but only then. So in other words, if I'm putting my life in danger, pull me off because no race is worth that. But if I'm just being, you know, fatigued and tired and exhausted and being, you know, moany, groany, whatever, kick my ass and make me keep going. Um, and that was, those are sort of the directives that I gave my crew, you know, that they, that there were parameters and they can, when you're actually in the race, and I have done this before, where you've pushed yourself so far that you've almost died, that's really silly. It's still only a race. Don't kill yourself over it. Uh, and, and, you know, um, sometimes you've got to back off 
you can't I had a mate we were in England and he was trying to run a 24 hour race with a broken leg it, it snapped two hours into the race and he was still trying to run another 22 hours on a broken leg you can't do that you know <laughs> and it's stupid because you're going to be completely screwed your leg's going to be screwed for the rest of your life we'd drag him off kicking and screaming you know because he was going to do what he set out to do so there is a point there that you've got to you know, be sensible which is really hard for athletes to be sensible but to get back to fighting through, when 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 things are really starting to pile up on you and you just got this negative voice in your head and you just want to stop, make little rewards for yourself. So it might be the next power pole. I'm just going to run up to that power pole and then I'm going to walk 100 metres. And those are those little rewards to just get you through that really tough, tough time. And try never to give up in the night time. Like in the night is always when your soul is at its deepest, darkest place and you'll be going to places in your head that you haven't even thought of for 20 years and every broken relationship and every crap bit of life you've been through will surface and will try to stop you getting to daybreak. But if you can survive to daybreak, when the sun comes up again, your spirits will come up again and your psyche will come up again and your body clock will kick back in and you'll be all right. So if you can just hang on for dear life, do whatever you can to survive the night. And sometimes that means like taking, you know, if you get to a control point or checkpoint and you have to take a rest or whatever, do so. Don't give up though unless the time limits, uh, you know, are pushing you out or whatever. But it, it's... Keeping, in other words, keeping your focus in. I remember my mum said to me a really good piece of advice when I was having a panic attack at the beginning of the run through New Zealand. And she's, you know, I was panicking. I can't run 2,000-something kilometres. What am I doing? Who said, oh, my God, you know, I was really having a panic attack. And she just told me to calm down, to do some deep breathing, which is really good advice. Just take a couple of deep breaths and just calm your body down because deep breathing just uh, gets your parasympathetic nervous system going and slows you all down. And then focus on the next letterbox, the next power pole, on the next half an hour, the next 10 minutes, whatever you can cope with, okay? And pull your focus in so that you're not looking too far down the track. If you start looking up, oh, my gosh, I've still got 80Ks to go and I'm already toast, uh, then you'll, you, you, you won't better hack it. You know, you've got to pull your focus in and concentrate. No, all I'm concentrating on is on getting to the next checkpoint or the next marker or whatever it is. Oh, man, mums so, are the best, aren't they? Oh, man, yeah, she was awesome. <laughs> she, was, she was great. And it's always nice to have a mummy cuddle at the start line when you're freaking out. <laughs> you're never too old for a mummy cuddle. No, no, you're never too old. No, definitely not. <laughs> So that and uh, one of the other tricks I did is association and disassociation. So association means I'm checking in with my body. I'm seeing that I've actually, is there anything majorly wrong? Is there any pains coming from anywhere? Have I drunk? Have I eaten enough? Have I got my electrolytes in? You know, so it's checking in and, and concentrating on all the logistical stuff of what you're doing. And then the other part of it is disassociation where you try and disappear out of the pain in the world that you're in and go off into your happy place, um, you know, whether it's swimming with the whales or building your house and your mind or writing that book that you always wanted to write or whatever gets you out or, or talking to a mate who's running alongside you and talking about some stupid silly stories, funny stories, something that make you laugh, 
Um, you know, I had wonderful crews. There was, you know, some of the racers would just come out and tell me the most outrageous stories or do stupid stuff to make me laugh and to pull my mind back on track. I remember one of the guys run, um, jumped out one day on a G-string and ran along in front of me, and it was just hilarious, you know, and, and it just made me laugh and it stopped me turning my thoughts inward, you know, and it doesn't have, hurt to have a nice bum to chase, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it's whatever tip, tricks and tips you can use to get through those dark hours and minutes and just get yourself to the next point before you give in, you know, <laughs> just try. And when you, if you get, like, say you're doing a 100K race and uh, you get to a checkpoint and you're like, oh, my God, you know, like I'm absolutely terrified of going back out there in the night and I'm, you know, um, you've, you've just really got to try and build your morale up. Stay there long enough to get your head in, in order, but get out again as quickly as you can because you do not want to be wasting time. I've seen people waste time at checkpoints where they don't need to be. Unless you're sick, you should be out, you know. Get in and out as fast as you can. Get it, Take enough time to get the food, the energy, the water. Get your mind in a little bit of a better space and then out you go before you lose your mojo. Um, so those would be a couple of quick tips. And that ties perfectly into nutrition, I guess. What do you eat during training and during these big races? Um, depending on the race because, you know, if you've got a crew, you've got access to a lot more stuff than if you're, uh, you know, self-sufficiency race, you know, racing the planet styles or marathon de sable styles, uh, in which case you dehydrated and horrible stuff <laughs> and um, but if I if I can pick and choose I try to have uh, I make my own sort of endurance balls so like with good stuff like chia seeds and uh, rolled oats and honey and uh, almond flour and all that sort of good stuff in fact I've got to make some for my husband this weekend he's doing a, a 80k around the mountain here um, so that sort of thing and then um, mashed potatoes pumpkin soups uh, in fact Soupy things are really good, um, even two-minute noodles, which nutritionally aren't the greatest, but they can be really tasty. Often you want the savoury sort of salty stuff, and you get sick of the sweet stuff pretty quickly. Um, I avoid things like gels, like the plague, the poison for my body, and I've seen a lot of other athletes, their races thrown by having gels. It's okay if it's maybe a 20K race or a, you know even up to a marathon maybe, but uh, beyond that, uh, when your digestion starts to go south, it really doesn't pay to have those sort of um, things. And, yeah, you want natural, real foods. Uh, and you, I am looking into the whole ketogenic diet at the moment. I haven't tried this. I don't know. But I've been uh, looking at Mark Sisson's work with uh, the ketogenic diet reset. And I think there's something to be said. If you can train your body to burn fat, I think you'd have a lot more advantages. I'm just not sure if I can ever discipline myself to go six weeks without any carbs. <laughs> um, I certainly don't do the um, carb loading you know, eating crap carbs the day before the race scenario, totally against that. Um, big plates of pasta and, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a recipe for getting dysentery, I reckon, <laughs> during the race. Right, so during the races, you are eating mainly carbohydrate type yep. whole foods. Yes, if, yep. And I guess this links into a question that I 
got off Facebook uh, about an hour ago about what are your thoughts on low carbohydrate, high fat diets for ultra runners? Yeah, I haven't I haven't tested it myself. Um, I have you know spoken to lots of other people, and there's a few that are, swear by it. Um, Dr. Nick Kimber, who I had on my podcast, Pushing the Limits, recently, was saying he was an exercise scientist and this was his area of specialty that he did his PhD in. He said some people work really well on fats and other people don't. So it is a a genetic thing and it is a personalized thing. So I think you need to test it. If you're going to go the ketogenic way, though, you have to do it properly and you have to uh, take the time to reset the metabolism um, once again, Mark Sison's work, um, I think, is is a good place to start if you're looking to do that um, and building your way into it, not just going, all right, I'm going to cut out carbs, you know, and then you'll crash and burn, no doubt, and you'll be a very angry, horrible person. Uh, I think you have to step your way into it. Um, so I, I try and eat lots of natural foods, uh, natural, real as whole grain or as whole whole as possible, unprocessed. Uh, we, you know, when I can, I do often still have lollies and things in my pockets if, in case I have a sugar low, so that I can, you know, quickly pick myself up and then follow it with a banana or something a bit more substantial. Uh, the biggest battle is getting in enough, and it's always been a battle for ultra marathon runners, is getting enough calories in not to bonk and uh, getting it actually the digestion through without throwing up. You know, that's the, that's the, you know, the holy grail really if you can do that. And, oh, you know, some races have gone haywire because you haven't got the nutrition right. It, it is make or break. So you have to test everything in, in training for what you're going to do in racing for sure. I mean, that's the ultimate golden rule, isn't it? Never try anything new on race day. And I, yeah, I just try and stay away from as much processed and chemical. And if, if something's, you know, a red drink or an orange drink, it's probably not good for me. It's got chemicals and stuff. I actually take hammer nutrition um, electrolytes, so endurolytes uh, and BCAAs as my supplement regime as far as getting my electrolytes and my amino acids in. And I find that the best rather than drinking my calories. Um, but that once again, it is a little bit of a personal trial and error situation. And some people have a cast iron guts and others are, you know, vomit at the first goalpost. So, yeah. Now I'm very aware that we're running close to time, Lisa. So this would be a great time to mention your podcast because you do have a fantastic podcast that you host. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you know, into the, into this brand new brave world of podcasting and it's my show is called pushing the limits and um it's an in-depth interview series actually with and i'll have to get you on actually maddie um with extraordinary achievers or people who have done amazing things or have amazing knowledge uh getting to the gems of wisdom i don't think i fit into any of those categories oh yeah you do (laughs) don't sell yourself short um so it's yeah, it's it's providing value to people, and um, not just in running, uh, not at all. It's you know I have a lot of uh, it has got a strong bent on health, fitness, and mindset, um, but I do have the odd you know extraordinary achiever in business and uh, science, and you know quite a few number of areas. So I'm really enjoying that. As you will be finding, Maddie, you get to meet the coolest people, and um, you get to build your tribe and provide value to your to your 
clients on a weekly basis and people listening. Um, so I, I do really love that. So I'd love people to go and check it out on um, iTunes or on Stitcher if you're on Android uh, or via my website at lisatarmany.co.nz forward slash podcast. So that's pushing the limit. I'll put a link to that on the show notes up over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website. Oh, fantastic. Now, you also have two amazing books, don't you? Yeah. Running Hot and Running Extreme. Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of drama. <laughs> I'm a girl, so there's lots of drama in it, um, and some highs and lows. And it, it's 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 raw. It's it's not glorified. It's not glamorous. You know, I know people look sometimes at ultra marathon runners who do big things and they think they're superheroes. We're freaking not superheroes it's all about just putting one foot in front of the other backing yourself believing it and building yourself into the distances um and you, you know every journey started with a single step and just putting one foot in front of the other and learning from cool people and um surrounding yourself and believing even when no one out like if, if if someone's listening out there and they they've got the secret dream they want to run an ultra marathon or a marathon or a half marathon or whatever it is that for you is a crazy distance um and people are telling you in your friend circle and your family like who the hell are you to think that you can do that you know if i had a dollar for every body time i got told you can't do something then i'd be rich and and, and i always just use those negative people as fuel to prove them wrong, you know. Um, and if I can share one last story before I go, um, my mum had a, you know, who's obviously been the rock of my life, um, had an aneurysm 20 months ago. Some people might know. I've shared a bit of a, her journey back, and she was left with the severest of disabilities when she actually survived. They didn't think she would for starters, and then she was in a coma, and then she, when she did come out of that, she virtually had no higher much higher functions at all she couldn't move anything couldn't talk couldn't uh didn't she was an infant in a in a woman's body and they told us to put her in a rest home and i wouldn't have it and i just said no we're taking her home and they said well she's hospital level care there's no way on earth you're going to cope with it and i i actually end up i remember one day going to the social worker taking my two books and throwing them at them and saying this is who i am and i don't give up and read my damn books and you'll know that i'll cope because Everything that I've learned in doing that is going to help me in this journey with mum, and it has, you know, and and with the help of the whole family, we have brought her back from the brink of disaster when they told us she would never do anything again, and now she's doing everything. She's certainly a little bit more fragile than she was, and she walks very slowly, but she couldn't even push a button. She couldn't even sit. She couldn't eat. She couldn't do anything. And now she's doing that all again and she's completely normal. You wouldn't know that she's ever had a problem if you're just sitting talking with her. Um, it's only when she gets up to walk that you notice she's very wobbly on her feet. But we're working on that and we work on it seven hours a day. And I have done for the last 20 months. And that journey has been the biggest and most amazing journey of my life. And I used the fuel when those doctors told me she would never do anything again. I used that as fuel to go, I'm going to show you and I'm going to show others that there is a way forward. And she is. And that teaching a brain at 75 years old, retraining it and it's all its balances, you know, uh, and how to move and how to all the sequences, it's brutally hard. It's been the toughest journey of my life. It makes an ultramarathon look like a piece of cake. Um, but every principle that I learned, I've applied in this situation. And she's got her life back. 
and she's fully in, involved in our world and in our life again, and that's just the most wonderful reward that a daughter can ever have. Wow. I mean, everything that you've been through to date is just training for this next step, isn't it? It's how I see it, mate. Yep, it's my biggest achievement, not not any race, you know, and we can all relate to that. We've all got mums, we've all got dads, we've all got kids or you know, someone that we love and that, we, you know, we could imagine that journey if we had to end. And that's why it's important to build resilience and that's why it's important to believe in yourself and back yourself. And when the experts and when everybody's telling you you can't, it's not always true. You have to walk in blind faith sometimes that you're going to get there. But I've I've done it a hundred times in my life where I've I've done things that people said you can't do and I've been there and I've I've and I have managed to overcome the odds time and time again. I've failed as well, but that's okay. You're always gonna aim for the stars and you might hit only hit the moon, you know, but if you if you don't aim high, you're never gonna get there. You know, that's that's you know, I'm I'm aiming for her to have a full recovery and that is my that is my goal and I'll keep working on that and if it takes me the next 10 years I don't care you know that's what it will take wow I I really don't know what to say I really don't know what to say I'm lost for <laughs> I'm words very passionate, I'm sorry. I mean we could talk about this all day it's it's a podcast in itself isn't it <laughs> oh yeah I really want to write a book about this um, but it's quite hard to get a book contract these days but I really want to share that journey because I think it's the most empowering journey I've ever been on and the hardest, um, but it, it's so encouraging. And, and uh, like I, there's, a, there's one of a guy in our um, running hot coaching group who's um, a paraplegic or from the chest down, and he fights every day, and he's in our running hot, hot coaching group, like running. He, he, he has a uh, you know hand bike, and he does his marathons on that, and he fights every day, and he – he he sends little videos through of him pulling himself along on his hands on the parallel bars and, you know, pulling his legs along. And I just look at him and I just think he's the most amazing person. You know, that's what real guts is. It doesn't really matter if, if for you your goal is to run, you know, is to walk 10 steps, which, you know, it is for him. Um you know, then then you're an athlete and you're an amazing person. You don't have to be running 200 k's or whatever. You know, it's all the same principles, really. It's just about believing in yourself and knowing that you're an athlete and that you can do this. You also have an amazing line of motivational jewelry, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Now, I've actually got an eye on a couple of these for my girls. Oh yeah. Absolutely, yeah. That, that, I was a jeweler in another life, you see. I, um, I have a crack at a lot of things. Yeah, um, I, I get bored very quickly, you see. So I move, move, uh, move around and do a whole lot of interesting things in life, you know. Just, um, but you know, I think like what you do too is is fantastic. I've watched you for a long time, and I think you know the way that you coach people and provide value and all the the videos and things that you know you're doing an awesome job. And it's really cool that we can, as coaches, just sit together and natter about all this sort of good stuff, eh? You know, and record it so that some poor soul can listen to it for an hour or so, and hopefully they're not too bored out of their mind. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next for Lisa Tamati? Um, 
Well, I've had a bit of a health journey myself this year, so I'm just on the comeback trail, really. At the moment, I can barely run 5Ks, uh, but that's a hell of a lot better than I was. Like two weeks ago, I had an operation, and before that, I couldn't even uh, – I actually ran across the road and passed out a couple of weeks ago. So I'm definitely coming back and getting back into life, and um, I've got a lot of repairing to do in my uh, kidneys and liver and my hormones and a few other areas, and my mate Gary Moller's got that in hand. Um, and then hopefully, yeah, I'll get back to doing some crazy stuff. I don't know if it'll be uh, long-distance running. Um, I might have a crack at some other things. I'm really into being functionally super strong and super fit, and I want to be like that when I'm 70 and 80 and 90. You know, it's my goal now. I know we're right on our time limit, Lisa, and I really appreciate you being here, but can I just ask you one last question while I've got you here? Yeah, Looking back on it all, everything that you've been through, do you have any regrets or is there anything that you would do differently? Yeah, there's a couple. Um, I think I wish I'd believed in myself a lot earlier. I, I wish that I'd understood that I'm a unique person and I, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean that genetically I'm made in a certain way to embrace who I am um, as a person and my strengths and my weaknesses and be able to sit with that and, and enjoy that for who I am instead of trying to be somebody else all the time, instead of trying to prove to somebody else all the time, which I spent most of my young years doing. Um, and I wish that I'd uh, enjoyed things more rather than just being so driven, you know, and that's something as a work in process, um, progress, because I, you know, definitely that way inclined that I, you know, just driven to do things. And I've got to learn to smell, stop and smell the roses sometimes and just enjoy the journey as well as the the huge mountain that I'm climbing up, you know. Um, And a friend of mine said to me once when I actually did, just did the La Ultra, the 222Ks in the Himalayas, and I got to the end of that, and I, and he said, wow, you know, amazing what you achieved. And I said, oh, well, so-and-so did it better, and so-and-so's faster, and that guy over there's done more, and, you know. And he just turned around and said, man, <laughs> you got to stop and at the top of this mountain and enjoy this peak before you start looking at the mountain next door and trying to climb that. And I took that to heart and went, okay, I've got to actually enjoy and celebrate the wins, celebrate the successes, and uh, before you go journeying off on the next mission, you know. Um, so sometimes less is more. That is very sound advice. Thank <laughs> you so much for your time and your amazing insights. Well, you too, Maddie. I really appreciate the. Yeah, it's an honour to be on your show, and um, yeah, if anyone wants to contact me, feel free to email me, and um, Maddie, I hope um, we get to have a beer sometime where, when we're in the same town, eh? Oh, mate, for sure, yeah. for sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, cheers, mate. Well, I don't really know what to say. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing Lisa. What an amazing, amazing person. If you want to know more about Lisa or get in touch with her, I have put all of her contact details 
over in the show notes at the Exponential Performance Coaching website under episode 29 of the podcast. So get over and check those out. If you've got any follow-up questions for Lisa, send them through to me and I could even get her back on the show for another chat. Until next time, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart. <laughs>